Welcome to the historic Ocean House, a luxurious hotel that pays homage to New England's golden age of hospitality. With timeless elegance and renewed civility, this treasured resort is the setting for our special broadcast of the Ocean House Author Series. Each program features nationally best-selling and award-winning authors in a salon-style conversation, hosted by Ocean House owner, actress, and best-selling author, Deborah Goodrich-Royce. You'll hear fascinating conversations with exceptional authors like Chloe Milos, Avery Carpenter, Patty Callahan-Henry, Victoria Christopher-Murray, Kitty Couric, and more. WCRI is pleased to partner with the Ocean House to present this ongoing series, which brings you the best and the brightest of the literary world. Now, let's take you to the Ocean House. Please join me in welcoming Annabelle Monahan and Deborah Goodrich Royce. Thank you, Stephanie. I am so happy to have you here. So Annabelle and I were on the road together this spring, and she writes, as you know, the most delightful, funny, touching rom-coms, and I write dark and twisty thrillers. So we were like Oscar and Felix. <laughs> Like, uh, like John Candy and Steve Martin. In an automobile. And at one event in South Carolina, we showed up in the same dress. We did. <laughs> we did. They'll never forget us. So talk to us a little bit about Same Time Next Summer. So Same Time Next Summer came out in June. Um, and it is the story of Sam Holloway, who lives in New York City, she returns to her parents' Long Island Beach house with her fiancé to look at a wedding venue, and she runs into her boy who broke her heart when she was a teenager living next door. But he's no longer a boy, he is now a man, and his name's Wyatt, and he has a guitar. He's <laughs> <laughs> not afraid to use that guitar. <laughs> he's so cute. Um, I'm not over Wyatt for whatever reason. I still get, like, I don't even know what we're talking about. I just completely blacked out talking about it. Um, and so it goes back and forth in time between what happened when they were teenagers and what's happened to them since and sort of unravels what actually happened to break them up when they were teenagers. Well, and before we really dive into this book, because I have... You can see I have many questions. This isn't really your second book, but it is kind of your second book because you've written in other genres before. So I, I think of Nora Goes Off Script and Same Time Next Summer as, you know, kind of en suite. Yeah. So talk about the process of Nora was a complete runaway, insane hit. Same Time Next Summer is a hit too, but how was it approaching... The second book, had Nora come out yet? How did that all line up? It was horrible. <clears throat> yeah. Horrible, 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 horrible. Um, I, any writer you talk to is terrified of publishing their second book. Yeah. And the better your first book does, the worse the whole situation is. It it's is true. terrifying because there's just a set of expectations. I had written young adult fiction before, and people really haven't heard of those books. So if anyone asks, these are my first books. <laughs> like, this is my first husband that we're talking about. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I wrote Nora Goes Off Script during the initial lockdown of 2020 quarantine. And I thought we were all going to die. I was just writing it so that I didn't have to watch Netflix. I had no expectations that anyone would ever read it. It was a very free sort of experience. And then all of a sudden, I have Putnam Books going, so where's your next book? And I'm like, I, I'm 
just in a complete panic about it. And my editor said, you're going to get in your head over this one. She's like, everybody gets in their head over their second book. And I thought, oh, God, like nothing good happens in my head, or in my head at all. Um, so I just, like, I was sort of terrified. And I was looking for stories that I really liked, um, that I could latch on to just as a starting point. And the one that kept coming up for me was the Philadelphia story. Um, do you guys know this? Oh, yeah. Very well. If you don't, you should just go home and watch it. Like and then it was redone with um, Grace Kelly as, what was it called? Uh, High Society. High Society. Um, and the remake of that movie, her ex-husband, who happens to be living next door when she goes home with her fiancé to her parents' house, same story, um, he's Bing Crosby. And so there's music in High Society. Um, and in my book, Wyatt is a songwriter, and he's written a song about Sam, and it, that sort of plays into it. So that was my starting point for this book, because I really needed something to latch onto because I was so terrified. By the time I had finished writing this book, it really doesn't look anything like Philadelphia Story, but I did, like, my head was, was grasping for something to hang on to. No, I get that. I, I was going to ask you about your inspiration, and inspiration takes funny paths. For me, Finding Mrs. Ford, which is set here in Watch Hill, when I first saw the house my husband spent six years building, I thought, oh, I need to write. A, a treatment of the ghost and Mrs. Muir in this house. It went to a very different place, but that was the genesis of it. Um, anyway, so, but one of the things that you do differently from both High Society and Philadelphia story is you, uh, to me in this book, it's more expansive, the, the multi-generational look. I, I found the parents much more interesting in this, then I mean, back in those movies, they were just kind of, you know, they came and went a little bit. So talk about the multi-generational aspect of this story. In, in, um, in Philadelphia story, I, you know, I loved like all those rich, drunk people. And that was pretty much like, yeah. so fun. That's, that's, why is everyone so drunk and making such bad choices? I loved it. And then there's this last moment of that movie where her father asks her to step down off her pedestal Mm -hmm. And as a child, I was like, Whoa, like, that hit me so hard. And I realized when I was thinking so much about that movie, it's that. It's the relationship between her, her and her father. It's what the, the unspoken dynamic in that family, because the dad's kind of a philanderer in Philadelphia story. Oh, definitely, and, definitely. Well, I mean, it's such an undertone of the movie, but I thought that was just something that I really wanted to explore. Um, and so there are grandparents in this movie, and basically the grandparents are sort of comic relief. But I, I wanted to look at how a family is an organism, right? Like everything that happens to everybody in a family happens to everybody else uh, in some way. And if something happens between just two people, those people can make up. But no, all the other people are still mad about it because they weren't part of the So makeup. true. <laughs> I can give you a hundred real life examples of this, but I don't want to take my family down. Um, so I, and there's so much tension that builds between parents and children while children are trying to grow up and they're trying to get out or maybe trying to keep them or we're trying to control. But the grandparents don't have that kind of tension. You know, the right. grandparents can look back 
and say, oh, I see what's going on, without all of their garbage associated with it. So that's, what, that's why I liked having the three generations in the family. Mm -hmm. Well, I like that very much. The other, there's a something you play with in, in this book, and I have heard you speak about it in terms of yourself. Uh, well, but about yourself, uh, Sam is torn between practical choices and choices of the heart. You talked about, you know, when you graduated from college, you thought, well, I can't just be a writer; I have to do something more practical. So I, it plays. Out really beautifully in the character of Sam. So, talk about what you use from yourself in that. You know, I never think I'm using anything of myself. I think I'm like a fiction writer. I'm not. <laughs> it's all about me. Right? Um, I I wanted to explore in this book that all the different ways you can have your heart broken. And you know, a lot of times you can have your heart broken inside your family. You know, just like your life can break your heart, and it can make you harder. And I, when I was graduating from college and was totally going to go be a writer, because that was the only thing I ever wanted to do with my life, ever, um, I was too terrified and felt completely, like, my parents were like, go, do something. And I had to go get a job in banking to, like, that was the only way that I was going to survive. Um, and I... I think that that's sort of what happens to Sam in this movie. It's like she feels like she's going to build up you know, all this scaffolding around her identity so that she's not going to get her heart broken again. Um, and I definitely did that. Well, that's very Greek tragedy, you know. Yeah. They're, they're going along the road, and the oracle says you know, that the son is going to kill the father and marry the mother, and they do everything, every, every, everything to avoid it. And yet... And yet, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here so we are. Yeah. I really loved the house. This house on the beach, I love the town, I love the way they get to the beach, I love the swimming at the beach. So I'm going to guess you had a very specific house in your mind's eye, or was that a made-up house, or was it, was it a made-up house, like a Pinterest board or something? No, it was made up in my head. I don't. It, the house, it has a porch that goes all the way around the house, and the square footage of the porch is is the square footage of the house. And I don't know where I came up with this idea, but I really wanted this book to take place outside. And the house is so crazy. The mother is constantly doing art projects. She makes everything, including her own paper. So the house is a mess. And so you wouldn't really want to be inside. Um, but I just wanted the whole book to feel like summer. So they do not eat a single meal inside the entire time. Um, they almost are never not wearing bathing suits the entire time. Um, it's a, it's, the whole thing happens outside, and the whole house happens outside. But they have great meals, by the way. I was, I was in meal lust as I, I must have been hungry when I was reading this. Because, and they just whip these meals up. Nobody cracks out a cookbook. They just, they have their summer recipes. Tell us one of their meals, because I want them. All the people in my books just eat what I eat. Yeah. So, like, the, the recipe for meatloaf, that's the meatloaf that I make on Wednesdays. <laughs> I make tacos on Tuesdays. That's a different book. But, um, yeah, so in the summer, I make a salad, and then I have some kind of a protein that I put on the fire, and then there's some kind of a carbohydrate, like a mm -hmm. potato salad or a baguette. Right. Yeah, that's what we eat. I wanted those meals. I'm going to invite Deborah over. This is great. We'll take a short break and be back with the Ocean House Author Series here on WCRI.
And we're back with the Ocean House Author Series on WCRI. So, you write very often from a female perspective, but you also write a little bit from a male perspective. How is that? You know, I didn't really think about it while I was doing it. So, some of these chapters are uh, from Wyatt's perspective. Um, and the first draft of this book was all of the present tense chapters were from Sam's perspective, and then he told all the past perspective chapters. And I thought that was going to be really literary, or so. I don't know what I thought was going to happen with that. But it didn't really work, because it's not, it's not his story, it's Sam's story. Um, but I probably wrote a hundred pages of Wyatt that didn't make it into the book. Right. Uh, so I know him really well. Like, I know what his life in Los Angeles looked like. I know about his girlfriend and the recording studio he liked to go to. I mean, all these things that never made it into the book. And I didn't really think about the fact that I was writing from a male perspective. Um, but I do have three adult male sons. And I kind of wonder if that was the perspective that I was using. They don't listen to the radio. They're not going to hear this, so I'm just going to say. Like, there's a, there's a way that I, as uh, not because I'm a woman, just the way I react to things that's like, like, when I get mad and I have, like, the feelings and the way I see them in a quieter way, just, like, not wanting to connect about something when they're angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think I may have used a lot of their feelings when I was writing Wyatt. Well, that, I mean... I don't know how else we, we use ourselves and the people we know, yeah. right? Just mercilessly. We, we have to because, I mean, the, the way you get into trouble is you're like, you know what men think? I've got an idea. I'm going to say a guy thing. And then you start stereotyping people and insulting them. Mm-hmm. So you really can only just take a little bit of things that actual you see in actual people rather than being like, He's a guy. He's going to, I don't know. And this is a big subject now, as you all know, in the literary world and all of the arts, cultural appropriation and who gets to tell whose stories. And I think men have been telling women's stories for a very long time. But uh, you couldn't just write a book with, you know, ten women. We could. But not every book. No, so a guy's got to walk into the room. In my book, somebody's got to walk into the room. Somebody. So, Annabelle... You're funny. And I have to say something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually interrupt myself. So when I was an actress, I did some comedy. I did a pilot with Christopher Lloyd. I, I did, a, I did uh, with um, John Ritter. I, I did all these things. So comedy writers on sitcoms, they sit there absolutely stone-faced. And they look at what you're doing, and they're like, that's funny, right? You think that's funny? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> did you always have confidence in the fact that you're funny? Or did you go through like an awkward phase where you didn't trust? Did you grow into true confidence in how funny you are? This is a compliment. Well, this is a really nice compliment. Uh, and it does take me back to the time when a friend of mine took me out to dinner to meet her boyfriend. And she said, this is my friend Annabelle. She's so funny. And I did not speak the rest of it. <laughs> I, like, I don't know what Jerry Lewis would say right now. Uh, but when I was at home, I was like, my brother was smart, my sister was pretty, and I was funny. I was mm-hmm. a baby, I was funny at home. Uh, and that was my job in my house, was to be funny. I wasn't funny outside the home, and I am really good at picking up on cues, and I 
sense that guys don't like funny women. So it wasn't until I landed myself a guy <laughs> that, and I just got older, that I could be funny outside the house. But that was what I was, I was really getting at. You toned the funny down okay. for a period. Yeah. I did. I, did. I didn't know. I mean, you know, you will always have a funny thought, but to share a thought that you think is funny is to make yourself so unbelievably vulnerable. Yeah. Because. It could not be funny. And then, and then people are like, wow, she's trying to... I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody trying to be funny. And then there are mean girls who actually might cut you down if you try to be funny. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, so I think that, um, like, by the time I'm 80, I'm going to be really funny. <laughs> uh, I really don't care so much anymore. But I do think when I was younger, uh, I really kept that close to the best. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about that. So you, my darling, are turning out a book a year, which is really a Herculean feast. Feet, feast, feet. I can't even talk. How, but how? How do? How do you do it? Yeah, I don't know. So I, uh, I do. Like so, I turned in this morning my June twenty twenty four book. And when I say that, I mean I'm gonna get back in a couple days. Yay! Oh, I'm so excited. I love this book to the extent that it's going to be okay, but she has it. She, the all-knowing, my editor. Um, so hopefully it's not going to be huge changes. But So it does take a full year to get a book written. Like in September I'll start writing my 2025 book. Um, but I write fast and I don't write carefully. Um, I do not care about, like, when I, I don't write any dialogue tags when I write. I'll just write the conversation like it's a screenplay. Uh, and then I'll go back later and be like, I moved my hair or whatever, the nonsense is. Um, but because of that, I, I can write a lot of stuff that doesn't work and I don't, it doesn't break my heart to delete it. So almost like a sketch. You're sketching it out, the shape of it. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to figure out what the story is, mm -hmm. and I will generally have to write it from the beginning until the end. And then I'm like, oh, I know that happened with this book. God, I was like, I know who Sam is. Let's start again. And so mm -hmm. then I went back. I mean, I deleted all, but I went back once I knew who she was. Uh, I am not good at the thing that would be great to be good at is having an idea of who a person is before you start. Mm -hmm. um, I can give her a job, I can give her circumstances, but I don't really know how I feel until I've moved her around some scenes. Um, and then my editor is very generous about her time. Like I'll show her something in October and she'll say, oh, and she'll, she'll give me a compliment sandwich. <laughs> she is the master of the compliment sandwich. I just love your writing. I really love your writing. So nothing in here makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's like 30 pages. I just really enjoy working with you. <laughs> you know, and then I, I... So it's not like I go a whole year and we haven't... I haven't run my story by her. Right. Uh, so that's a really nice collaboration, and that helps. And do you have... Uh, multiple ideas coming down the pike? Are you making a little note, like in the middle of the night, like, oh my God, my next heroine is a woman, you know, in Watch Hill or whatever? Or are you really confining yourself to one I, book at a time? I have one that's like, the one that I'm going to start in a couple months is kind of creeping out, um, because he has a big Irish-American family, and I just think it's so fun. 
and then I keep thinking about it, and then I keep meeting people, and some guy says, my name is Kean, and I'm like, Kean, and I write down. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I really love his big Irish-American family, which I can write about, because I'm married to an Irish-Canadian. Ah, That's so... not cultural appropriation. You're allowed. You're, you're definitely allowed. Anyway, so, um, yeah, no, I don't have a lot of ideas, because that would make me and do you have any vision at some point of having Nora meet Sam or doing little crossovers? Like the Jetsons and the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> did they meet? Oh, yeah. And well, they did? Harley met Victorious for the younger people in the room. You know, so I love that stuff. I, that's a really fun thing about these events this summer. People will say, I would love to see... Uh, Nora and Leo and Sam and Wyatt have dinner in Los Angeles. <laughs> or they want to see, um, Sam has a much younger sister, they want to see her grow up and have her, like she'd have her own show, her own relationship. Um, I think that's a really fun idea. I can't imagine ever doing those things. Just <laughs> like, I don't know, Rocky II was the only good sequel. As far as <laughs> I can tell. Um, I think you'd have to be really smart to do that right. But it's a fun idea. So, and not, not in your mind. But, so you have a huge section written from Wyatt's point of view that could eventually become something. You know what Don't throw it away. It could be a newsletter. Yeah. Like, does anybody want to know about Wyatt's life in Los Angeles? No. <laughs> you really don't. Um, but yeah, I could, I could put that back. You could time. do that. So talk, uh, we have many women, not all women, we have some men, right? Yeah, but work-life balance is always a challenge. I am an example of a sequential human being. I've done things sequentially. I was an actress, and then I was a mom, and did other jobs, and then I was a published author, and... If I keep living for a while, who knows? You are kind of, and a grandmother, you are the all at once kind of person, which is amazing. How do you do that? Uh, sort of. So I really, when I wrote Nora Goes Off Script, I had an eighth grader and two kids in college. Right. So, and a dog, and a husband. I mean, it wasn't really, I, I didn't really have that much going on. Um, but it's not like all three of my kids were home. But then during COVID, what happened was they were all home. Everybody came home from college. And my all three of my sons were sleeping until noon every day. Thank you to the Rice City School District. I, I don't know. There was no school. So they were sleeping till noon every day. And then they would wake up and ask me for food until the day was over. And so I started waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And writing until noon when they woke up, which is a really good work day. I mean, that's you know a lot done between five and noon. And then I go to sleep at eight o'clock. And so then I was limiting the time that I had to be a mom during the day. <laughs> it was like it's like if I lived in England. Yeah. It was like mom's in England now. And that was perfect. When you're a short order yeah. cook. But in truth, I mean, now I have one son home. Uh, my husband's at home, and I just have to like say like. So today, I need to write for six hours, or we're not going to have money for chicken. Like, <laughs> I have to say it in a way, and then, did everybody, who heard me? And then they, you know, I just have to really have boundaries. And I was at home with my kids. I mean, I've, I've been at home with my kids since I've had kids. I didn't really have a lot of boundaries um, when I was raising kids. So now it's, 
Well, how are they taking it, though? Uh, they're good. <laughs> they're good. I think they're excited. And, um, you know, I, it's fun for my husband and my son. I think they're home together. And I think that's kind of a fun time to mm-hmm. not have, like, the broccoli pusher home all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I think they're good. I think they're proud of me. It's a, you know, it's a weird thing to see. And do you like touring? Do I like touring? Touring. I love it. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Um, I wouldn't do it, you know, 12 months a year, but... You know, you know, it's like you you go and you talk to somebody because and they read your book. And it's like you made up a thing and you typed it and then they read it and now it's in their head and now you're talking. I mean, it, it's magic. Mm-hmm. I love it. It is a magical thing, and the thing about books is, and movies, they do uh, works of art. They become something different to each person, and that is, it's one of the reasons I don't read my audiobooks, because people, first of all, think my novels are all completely autobiographical, and I have not had all those thriller experiences, I guarantee you, but I feel like by having an actress read it, it is already that first step in that transition away from me to somebody else. Would you ever do that? Would you ever read your own audiobook? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's really hard. I mean, I think... With nonfiction, I think it's important. We have Katie Couric coming in a few weeks. Thank you, Lorette. And uh, she reads her own. That makes sense. Which she should, because it would be very weird. It's a memoir. Uh, That would be strange. But... Have you liked all of your audiobook actresses? Uh, I hear they're all wonderful, and I am really awkward about listening, so I've not listened to any of them. I was listening to somebody else's audiobook, and I emailed her. So generally, they give you a pronunciation guide. So any of you from New York, there's a school in New York called St. Bernard's, and it was in this book over and over, and the reader kept saying St. Bernard's, and I'm like, did I get that wrong all that time? No. 25 years that I'm saying it? It's St. Bernard's. So I let the author know, and she was like, oh my God, I didn't listen. She was able to, I guess they were able to, you don't use the word space anymore, but edit that word in, but it's a good idea to listen if you have unusual words. Yeah. She's not going to do it. How about you listen to mine? I'll do the pronunciation check. We'll take a short break and be back with the Ocean House Author Series here on WCRI. And we're back with the Ocean House Author Series on WCRI. I think we are at a point where we can take your questions. And if you wait for the microphone, you're going to be on the radio, which is a really cool new side thing we're doing this year. We're on WCRI, which is really nice. Annabelle. Yes. I was so happy to come here last year and hear you talking about Nora goes off shift or... Script. 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 Sorry. Also shift, yes. Shift and script. Has anything happened with that in terms of movie writing? Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's yes, and eh. so here's what's happening. So it was optioned, and for some reason I can't tell you who it is because they haven't announced it, and you've never heard of them anyway, so don't get excited. This isn't Harry and Megan buying the rights. Um, so I know, what, what's wrong with that? Um, anyway, so it was optioned by a really great guy who, get this thing done. Uh, the auction started in December, and he has 
18 months to start filming. But as you know, there's a writer's strike and there's an actor's strike. So there's no way in the world, if everything got solved tomorrow, they're not going to. But is there a strike clause in there where that becomes like a stop clock? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> but it is, so uh, I love to tell the story. When I was an editor at Miramax, and I was the editor on A Wrinkle in Time, and it was my job 30 years after the book was published. So Madeline Langle wrote that book in the early 60s. I was the editor in the mid-90s because Madeline Langle had given the rights to her goddaughter and the goddaughter's husband. They were young, they were like 40, and he died all of a sudden of a massive heart attack. And I would have told you, that project dead, nothing will ever happen. 20 more years went by, and Ava DuVernay, who's a, a black American woman director, made it with a multiracial cast. And I, I was very awed and humbled. I, I, I thought, you know, we don't understand how this process goes. I mean, hopefully we don't have to wait 50 years. But, but if so, Oh, there is a life to a work of art that is beyond what we might see. Yeah, I agree. And mm -hmm. it'll fall into the right hands and it'll turn into something uh, that hopefully I will have the courage to watch. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Same Time Next Summer, and I think that it's partially because there's music in it, and uh, that would be a fun, it'd be fun to have a sound. That is cinematic, very uh, cinematic. It would be super cheap to film. This is what I think. Nobody's <laughs> screenplay many years ago that included a complete mental breakdown scene in the snow on the George Washington Bridge. Do you know how much money that would cost with some crazy mom in a Volvo on the George Washington Bridge in the snow? I mean, <laughs> you know, and I should have known better. Absolutely, they think about it. They're like, can you just make this in the summer? Like in Nora, yeah. you, you know, the Academy Awards would be expensive to fake. That would be really, but otherwise, you know, rent an old colonial house with a porch. And, I mean, it's just easy to fake. Yeah, fair, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Long, long answer, short question, sorry. Hi. Um, my question is, because I saw your post about finishing that draft of the dog book. Yes. So yes. can you tell us a little bit of the plot? So the, it, here's the thing. It's going to take me a year to figure out how to talk about this book. Um, I, this is going to be really awkward. So the book is about a professional organizer named Allie whose life is a total mess. Her house is a total mess, um, but she goes into other people's homes and you know, makes everything ship shape. Uh, her mother died a couple years ago. Her husband has left her. And she meets this guy and decides that she's going to get her life in order. She's going to move herself forward by having one last summer romance. Not with that guy. With that guy. Oh. Um, and then some other stuff happens. <laughs> and there's a dog. Oh, okay, so they meet because of the dog. I actually can't, don't know that I can say what the deal is. Okay. Um, but it does go back to the basic madness of buying a dog. <laughs> and everybody knows what that is, right? You're buying a heartbreak 16 years later. It's like a futures contract on heartbreak. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Let's bring the room right now. Yeah. <laughs> Summer romance. I love it. Questions? So I want to know who you think Wyatt is. Who would play Wyatt? Harry Styles. Next question. <laughs> yeah. 
So it seems like porches are a thing for you. Do you have a front porch that you like to sit on? I don't have a front porch. I have a back porch. Um, and when I was writing Nora Goes Off Script and getting up at the crack of dawn, I would sit back there and watch the sun come up over. I have sort of a forest behind my house um, with my dog. And I thought, I have the best life. But this is, I couldn't, I couldn't get over how wonderful that moment of my day was. Um, also getting back into bed at night was good. So <laughs> I, that's how that made it into that story. Um, and in the summertime, I just do like, my sister has a house with a porch that is huge. Uh, and she, she'll set up a dining table out there. And I just, I think that's so, it's such a beautiful way to live in the summer. I'm from the Midwest. I'm a fan of screen porches because uh, it's very buggy in the Midwest. And there's nothing more beautiful than a big screen porch where you can really sit out. I'm just thinking about the process of you writing and then turning it over to your editor. So there must be a lot of magic between you and your editor because you have to trust this person and really collaborate. And I'm wondering, Deborah, if you had the same editor for all three of your books. No, I have, I have had I, an unusual process where I've worked with a freelance editor for my first three books on my own before I've turned them in. And that was always the same person. And whatever editor you work with, you really need to know that that person gets you because we're not all the same. Mm -hmm. And you don't want someone who's trying to turn the best of you into somebody, a, a lesser version of somebody else. Because if they are, you will be a lesser version. So it's really crucial. Um, and, and how did you come to trust your editor? She bought your book. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for the check. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there is a, funny you use the word magic, yeah. uh, because there is a certain amount of magic that happens between the two of us. She is a lot younger than I am, she's a lot smarter than I am, and she's smarter in a, in a different way. Like, so the thing that is not totally complete here, she has. Mm -hmm. And so I trust her when she tells me this is not working. And she trusts me when I say, just give me a little more time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do feel like she sees the thing in me that, she's trying to bring out the best thing in me. She's not right. trying to turn me into another. Which is crucial. Uh, which is really, it's really crucial. It's, it's actually one of the most nice relationships that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. I, it's a really, really great thing. She might be reading my new book right now saying, oh, I hate this dog. Um, <laughs> but it's just been, it's been a real gift. I just had a quick question about the, the business of um, publishing a book. So obviously it's so hard to write a book and get it out there. Do you have to learn like the social media side of it and kind of learn several jobs beyond being a writer? Well, so social media, like, you were already posting pictures of your kids' birthday parties anyways. You know, like we were already doing social media. Um, and then it just, it, it ends up being, now you're talking to strangers. So what I've sort of done is I've just started to stop talking about my children. Best thing that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is so great. All she talks about is her book. Um, oh, happy graduation. Um, so, yes, I. there's that. Um, you also, it, you don't have to get to know other authors, but it certainly helps, and it's certainly fun. 
and you cannot go to your regular friends and complain about the stuff that you can with your author friends. So true. Uh, so that's really terrific. Uh, but I lean on my publisher to do a lot of other stuff. Like I don't, I don't know how to. A social media guru gave me a formula, and she said, a third, a third, a third. Don't, as an author, don't make your social media all about your book, or you will never become friends with other authors, because they'll think, she's insufferable. I can't, I can't follow this person. So the rough idea is a third about your book, a third about other authors' books, because that's a huge thing I do on social media is promote other authors. And then a third about, I don't know, do you like to cook? Do you like dogs? Do you like gardening? Whatever. So it does, you do become kind of more rounded. It's, it's, it's very interesting on social media. There are, you can post something, and all of a sudden, 100 people will stop following. You're like, wow, they really hate that family photo. <laughs> That's just like, really got them there. <laughs> Or, or I'll sometimes post something that I'm like excited to post and no one cares. And then sometimes I'm like about to pull it, you know, out of the grocery thing and I the picture and I say six words and a thousand people like it. It's really strange like what what clicks and what doesn't click and um, I find that the less hard I try on social media, the better I do. Also in life. Also <laughs> this might be a theme. Right. Think about this. Um, just kind of just what, whatever you would text to your sister is what you say. And speaking of like other aspects to the author life, this series started when my first book came out, and you know I I knew five other authors in this region who had books coming out, so we kind of just winged it, and we each gave a little talk, and five people came. And then after COVID, we just made it more of a thing. And it's turned into all of you wonderful people. So that's been that author relationship is amazing. Add on to the tail end of this. I think that on your Instagram, we were talking about Instagram, your Friday reads, is that what you call it? Yeah. And you, I, I talk about other people's books. You talk about other people's books, which I think is super generous as an author. But... They're really, really well done, and they're really riveting. You just want to like run out and start reading the book right away. It's they're, those I, I are wonderful. Paid her. I do a Friday reads, and I never, I will not criticize anybody else's book. I'm never going to write a bad review of anybody else's book. Anyway, back okay. to you. Sorry. So um, I have not had the pleasure of reading same time next year or next summer yet, but with Nora goes off script, um, I loved the <gasps> moment in that book, and so. And that doesn't happen to me very often. So is that something you intentionally try to do? Is it something you try to put in your other stories? You know, the way it worked out in that book is, as I said, I thought we were all going to die. So I never thought I was even going to finish that book. And I had written all the way up until that part. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to get this guy back. Like, I was just, I'd written myself into a corner. And did a fabulous job. Yeah. But then this is really the only way I can solve problems when I'm writing a book is I really think about the people and I really was starting to think about those children and what that must feel like for them to have their father lead and have Leo lead all the things and then it kind of revealed itself to me how that might work out um, but no I, I didn't go in like, I think we're gonna watch this I didn't I didn't think that um, that's just sort of how it worked out hi, hi. Um, I was just curious about 
just you pour everything that you have into your writing so when you are what's the process of like titling your your stories oh i make up a title and then they change my title really <laughs> yeah so it's a two-step process <laughs> <laughs> uh, so nora goes off script was called the tea house which i thought was a lovely title and every every friend every editor everyone said love the book it sounds like it takes place in China, and it's a very serious story. Neither <laughs> of those things. So we came. I, I actually gave them a bunch of other titles, and Nora goes off script is one of them. Uh, and then, same time next summer, you read the book. You will come to the end of the book, and you will say, "This book should have been called Meet Me at the Beach," uh, because it's what they say to each other. It's the perfect name for the book. And then I don't know if you've ever heard of Carly Fortune. But she wrote Meet Me at the Lake that was coming out the month before, and she's Carly Fortune, and I'm me. Um, and so, you know, we have the same uh, publishing parent, and they called, and they said, you can't, you can't do that. So then we have to come up with it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this one. Okay, so both of you, favorite author besides each other, or one of your favorite authors beside each other, and also, what are both of you, or each of you, what are you reading now? So I, I will, I, I'll say two every time. Lisa Jewell is my favorite author that writes things like Deborah writes. Like these, Reef Road was probably my favorite book that I read this year. Um, I love those kinds of books. So besides Deborah, Lisa Jewell is my go-to. Um, for books that are more like books that I write, I really love Amy Popel. Um, her book, The Sweet Spot, came out in January, and if you haven't read it, it is will knock your socks off. Uh, I just started today a book called Self-Care by Lee Stein, uh, which is a novel about the self-care industry. Uh, and I've, I'm on page 25. I've laughed six times <laughs> It is so good and so funny. Um, and it's just all the stuff they're trying to sell us is hilarious. So. All right, so, uh, and we're, we're going to wrap it up. They're turning the lights off on us. <laughs> this has never happened before. So for thrillers, I would say I really like Tana French. I really like, um, I, I'm even going to put Joyce Carol Oates in that category. And certainly Donna Tartt I would put in that category. So, but I read very broadly and, but, Primarily fiction. I get uh, mostly fiction. And of course, besides Annabelle, I'm trying to think who else I like in your space. Really I mean, there's nobody but Annabelle. <laughs> She's the one. And right now I'm reading Horse because I'm in a book club with a lovely lady right here, Jan. And because I've been so busy, two weeks ago was our meeting and I didn't finish Horse. But Jan, I am in there. I am almost finished. And I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I just wanted to ask, I often, you know, as a parent, a mom of young adults, we grapple with letting them go and hurt themselves and putting them in bubble wrap, as you said, in the book. And I just wonder how much of your characters as the mom and dad of Sam came from your personal experience as a mom? Uh, it's a great question. I have, I have two kids who are now living in New York City. The second one is just gone, um, and they are like people with apartments. Uh, it is such a strange thing, um, and I think that a lot of uh, my watching them try to leave and then watching them try to come back, and every time they come back, they're a little different, and then they kind of rub up against us again, and now they're different when they go back. 
it's that process. It's like you know, like a butterfly kind of, and it's kind of painful to watch. Um, I think a lot of that um, went into the story. Um, I am a person who I had to go away from home to sort of become myself, um, and I think that I'm a little bit like Sam in that way. Um, that I, I I needed to not be home um, to figure out a new way to be. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you for joining us for this special broadcast of the Ocean House Author Series with Deborah Goodrich-Royce. Please tune in each month as we'll bring you a new Ocean House Author Series highlighting nationally best-selling and award-winning authors in a salon-style conversation. Hosted by Ocean House owner, actress, and best-selling author, Deborah Goodrich-Royce. The WCRI is pleased to be partnering with the Ocean House to bring you this ongoing series highlighting the best and the brightest of the literary world. Thank you once again for joining us. And in the words of Margaret Atwood, in the end, we all become stories. <laughs>